and welcome to Chilennial Horrors, the horror podcast where we face our fears and revisit the movies we used to really, really love back when we were young and carefree uh, to find out whether they were actually any good or if we were just too full of the joys of youth to make a proper critical judgment. This episode, we're revisiting the early films of Eli Roth, Cabin Fever, Hostel and Hostel Part 2. And here to help us make sense of it all is Cliff Barnes, Eli Roth fan and host of the Devil Times 5 horror podcast. Hello. Hello, and I was born in 1975, which makes me too old for this podcast. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the movies that have to be millennial. You yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. to be a <laughs> So, um, yes, tell us, about, tell us about your feelings on Eli Roth briefly. Well, he's sort of partially cancelled these days, isn't he? I can't remember why. Did he do something naughty? Is he, did he mistreat some women or is it just because um, like he likes a slur in his scripts? I, I don't think any of it's kind of new information, from what I know anyway. I think it was just a lot of uh, old interviews were dug up where he basically made a lot of sleazy comments about sort of doing lots of takes of naked girls and stuff like that. So like, none, of it's kind of, none of it was a secret, it was just kind of resurfaced. Oh, that's right, yeah. So what was the question? Why do I think Eli was so great? What do I like? <laughs> Not that. I think, I think just um, tell us how you feel about his early movies. Well, I like all his movies up until the one he did with Jack Black, which is rubbish, <laughs> and for kids. Um, I, I think I didn't like Cabin Fever when I first saw it that much. I thought, oh, here's a, here comes another guy just trying to recreate the old 70s style of, of horror. But, you know, 70s, early 80s, trying to do an Evil Dead, trying to make it a bit Texas Chainsaw. It's not as good as... The, the real thing but I've grown to really like Cabin Fever then when Hostel came out I mean I was blown away I just think it's perfect it's it's the way it mixes uh, comedy and horror and um, thrills and action and suspense it's, it's just it's got mm-hmm. everything I mean, we're going to tackle these one at a time aren't we we will we will do them in great detail <laughs> <laughs> But we've got an overview. It's, it's, a, it's a good start, I think. I think because when we were talking about this episode, um, we were talking to Mike Munzer on the last episode about it, and, and he kind of said, risky, risky to revisit. You're not going to enjoy them. Did, <laughs> they he? don't stand up. Mm. Yes. Now, I wonder if that, because he, um, I mean, he wasn't born in 1975, and uh, so he's, he's more woke. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm not woke, but but I, I do wonder how much of the cancel culture, because Luke off our podcast, Devil Times 5, um, he was a bit, oh, Eli Roth, really, really. So, yes, Mike did say that. Um, and I wonder if that's what he was talking about. Uh, the, the scripts and the portrayal of, you know, women with their tits out isn't uh, quite what you would expect these days. And there, there was that remake recent... Well, not that recently now, is it? But, but, um, no, it's a while ago now. Which I haven't seen, but did that kind of clean it up a bit in those... Because in, in, it was shot for shot. I think it must have done, but it, was, it wasn't quite shot for shot, I think, because it, it didn't have... I seem to remember it didn't have Deputy Winston in it. It had Deputy Winston, but she was a woman. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, the whole thing was... It was kind of... It was more of a... Like horror rather than a horror comedy or that was what they said it was but then there were still loads of jokes in it like they didn't really change it they were just kind of shot more seriously we are getting ahead of ourselves let's let's rewind <laughs> so cabin fever 2002 is about a bunch of kids who are i don't know it's spring break or something they're obviously college students um maybe they've graduated i don't know they, i just remember it starts with her telling a kid not to go to college um <laughs> But they head off to a cabin in the woods, um, as all American teenagers do, I've been led to believe. And while they're there, um, they have 
a bad encounter with some locals. One of them comes to the cabin, appears to be diseased and distressed, and rather than helping him, they attack him and kill him by uh, setting him on fire and then kind of all get their comeuppance because they all catch a the disease that he had, which is a, a flesh-eating I mean, it's it's an extension of a real flesh-eating disease. I think it's a bit magic. It just kind of turns you into goo quite quickly. Yes. So Cabin in the Woods movies, I am quite bored of because it's, it's the absolute root one of uh, low-budget horror filmmaking. And I've seen so many bad ones, especially at these online horror festivals the, over the last year or whatever. Um, Cabin Fever, I think, works because although the kids are obnoxious... I think Eli Roth knows they're obnoxious, whereas a lot of filmmakers who make these films think that, you know, the, these kids being obnoxious is something to aspire to. I think there's a bit more to the kids in, the, in Cabin Fever than there is in, uh, for example, Re-elected, which is one I saw last year. <laughs> I don't year think I've even heard of that one. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should, be called, it should be called Dead Presidents, but they called it Re-elected. It's about a, a cabin in the woods and, for whatever reason, three zombie US presidents attack them. I mean, that sounds kind of incredible. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's really bad. <laughs> so I guess, oh, I mean, 2003, I, I keep kind of thinking it's about 10 years ago and it really, really isn't. It's nearly 20. Um, mm. That sucks. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw this movie, <laughs> I saw it in the cinema first time, I think, and then I bought the DVD and spent basically a, a summer holiday from university, like re-watching it and, what, and listening to the commentaries and watching all the special features and being completely obsessed with it. So my history with this film is that I fucking loved it. What what were your guys' like first impressions? When did you see it first? Oh yeah, same. Uh, yeah, I remember going to see it at the cinema and uh, the bit, I remember I remember the bit at the start where the, the guy who lives in the woods is trying to get his mm. dog to wake up and lifts the leg up and then this goo explodes at him and I remember thinking like oh my god this is amazing um like, yeah I fucking love this and yeah I had the exact same experience of yeah loving it at the time and then buying the dvd and yeah watching all the special features and all the commentaries uh yeah I just thought it was brilliant I thought it was hilarious and really gory and all the kind of the gory bits made me kind of shudder and it made me laugh a lot and I think yeah like like Cliff said I think they've got it coming like I think watching it especially now they all they've all got it apart from Jordan Ladd's character, whose name I've immediately forgotten. Karen. Karen, yeah, because she th- there's that amazing line, which is that guy asked for our help and we lit him on fire. <laughs> that everyone laughs at, yeah, like uproariously, people laugh at that. Yeah. I think it um, that that bit kind of uh, actually maybe the whole film kind of depends what mood it catches me in. Because sometimes, yeah, I find stuff like that funny and and can laugh along with it. And other times, I'm like. That's quite upsetting. <laughs> Being a bit sensitive, I'm like, oh god, yeah. I think I think one of the reasons I like Eli Roth is I find his sense of humour is quite British rather than American, um, and you only have to watch the Rotten Fruit extras on the disc to see that he loves British comedy. I think I think that's probably why this particular Cabin in the Woods movie works for me, just because the sense of humour is is much more. Up my alley. Um, I didn't see it at the cinema. I wonder if that was because it had only had a fifteen certificate, so I couldn't be asked. Um, it didn't sound like anything. <laughs> it didn't sound like it'd be any good. <laughs> I, so I think I reckon I probably saw it on a DVD rental, probably through the mail order. You know, the love film or whatever was happening at mm. the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how. I, was, I don't remember getting the box out of an actual you know, physical video li- library. 
and I now have it on this uh, German Blu-ray because it's got the most extras on it of any available version, or at least did, um, with the subtitle, uh, the the tagline in German on it: "Unsichtbar," loud, which uh, is invisible, loud loss, uh, which means what's loud loss? Loud loss is um, silent, and then "Turdlick," which is deadly. Um, okay. Yeah, "Turdlick." That's an unfortunate word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's how the uh, disease started in the first place. That's all I'm saying. Could well be. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about the cast of this film. And we're talking about them being kind of um, unlikable characters. We've got Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World. And then we have, yeah, as, as mentioned, Jordan Ladd as Karen, who's the, the nice girl. We have Serena Vincent, who is the... Sexy girl, I guess. I mean, she doesn't really have that much of a personality here, apart from just, um, yeah, being really horny, I think. And then uh, Joey Kern as Jeff, who is the just horror. He's a law student, and he's uh, like just supposed to be a dick. Basically, that's his personality. He's yeah. also very germ phobic, which uh, I think rewatching this film, like in in twenty twenty one. Um, it's a little bit different because you're like, yeah, you are right. You shouldn't be like breathing <laughs> each other's air and touching each other. You should be covering your Using mouth and staying balls. apart. And you, <laughs> like, yeah, he had the right idea. He he's maybe gonna survive this. Uh, and James DeBello as Bert, who is just uh, a really obnoxious jock with a BB gun um, who likes to shoot things. He's quite funny though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, I think I probably did think that it was really funny. I don't know if I found it that funny now, but I, I felt, I felt, it just felt old. I think I just felt old watching it. Like, oh, you're all idiots and you're all babies. It was interesting watching it now because, yeah, I think I agree. I didn't find it um, like the dialogue is funny, but I think I did recognise it as this is how people like talked a lot and like how you know, dickheads, obviously, but like it's how people talk kind of in that in that environment. Mm-hmm. It was interesting how it felt dated. Like it, it didn't feel dated. Like someone trying to sound like how teenagers would talk. Like a sort of a bad, you know, like that kid in the McCain oven chips advert who went most excellent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like yeah, like a like a like a, like a social media horror now. Like you'd you'd know right away. Like it sounded like a you know an older screenwriter trying to figure out how teenagers would talk. This this felt like how teenagers talked kind of then, and like their relationships all kind of. It feels like a bit of work's gone into it. They kind mm-hmm. of, you kind of get how they, like the guys all feel like they're a unit, even like they all seem like they know each other for a long time. Yeah, I think I think you do get a bit of that in the in the way that you often see like horror movies, and you're like, these people wouldn't be friends. That they they just yeah. there's no there's no connection between any of them. I think that probably isn't there in this. I think they probably do come across as believable and believable like people that would hang out with each other. Hmm. Yeah, and. Um... One thing that uh, the the whole chilenial horror era um, that bugs me is is the idea that to make a horror film, everyone in the film has to be horrible, and I think Kevin Fever just toes the line just and gets it just right because there's too many too many of these films like this where everyone's just shouting mm. at each other and swearing at each other for no fucking reason. It just doesn't give you anyone to like. Yeah, who do you like in this though? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. They're not likeable, but I enjoy watching them. Mm. Um, and, and, and Giuseppe Andrews, um, <laughs> that is his name, isn't he? Yeah. He's great. Deputy Winston is brilliant. It's interesting watching, like, they, 
Like you said, when, when with a lot of these horror movies where they're like shouting at each other and they're like, like you just think, oh god, shut up. Like these, this group, I think it is interesting how like they bicker and they do shout, but like you can feel it feels natural. Like it doesn't feel forced when they like stop shouting at each other or like tell each other to fuck off. Like it feels like they're frustrated but still friendly. They kind of still know each other. It doesn't feel like a stretch that when they start like coming to coming apart as a unit. Yeah. Like they're not unbearable. Like you, <laughs> you still kind of want to see what happens to them. I think I didn't find them all that horrible when I initially watched this film. Like, I think um, I think Paul and Karen particularly, like, you just, you, I think you're supposed to root for them a little bit. I think, you, you well, yeah, I mean, you would want someone to kind of survive a horror film, don't you? But you have to identify with them a bit. I think, like, Ryder Strong's character is, like fine <laughs> he's not terrible he's definitely set up as a nice one isn't he it, well he is set up as a nice one except for the big sexual assault in the middle yes which i hadn't remembered being quite as yeah that was a shock yes that that is that i think was one of the bits that i recoiled from a bit in a in a way that I hadn't before i think i think because that so there's a scene where you know he's he's fancied karen for a long time and He's hoping that this holiday is going to be like when they get together and they go swimming in the lake together and have a little kiss. And then later when she's not feeling very well and she's asleep in bed, he gets in bed to give her a cuddle and inexplicably takes her sort of half asleep, slightly in pain, murmuring slash whimpering as a come on and uh, sticks his hand in her pants. I wonder if that's a um, little homage to the raft in Creepshow 2, where a very similar thing happens. And uh, when did Creepshow 2 come out? About 87? So I watched it at a formative age, and, you know, I was, I was 12 or whatever, and I thought, oh, well, this is how you get off with girls. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never actually knew any girls to try it out with, fortunately. But, you know, it definitely went into my brain as a way to get off with women, is they're asleep you start feeling them up so these these things should be uh yeah they should be called out definitely yeah and i think what struck me about that scene is that the horror is from his perspective because what actually happens when he sticks his hand down between her legs is that he sticks his hand into a massive gaping Mm. wound in her thigh um and doesn't realize for quite a long time which suggests he really doesn't really know what he's about but um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think the horror is supposed to be you know uh, it's his. It's his reaction. It's him suddenly being covered in blood and realizing that what that she's diseased. And it's not mm. kind of the horror from her perspective, which is she's probably dying, and also the guy that she probably quite liked has just decided to like assault her in her sleep. Like you don't get her perspective on that, and I, that's not necessarily like you had to. But I just that really struck me this time is that that scene is entirely his horror rather than hers, even though. Yeah, it's quite disturbing. You don't get anything really from Karen's perspective, do you? Like, not not before, and then definitely not after she gets no. sick. Like, she's just in the shed, and then it's just them being progressively more horrified by what's happening to her. Which I think is like fine because I guess Paul is the POV character, so her journey really is to go from being this like gorgeous girl that he wants to get with to being a horrifying um, lump of blood and gore. <laughs> But I do. It, it is a little bit of a shame that we don't really get to uh, feel her as a person, like you say. Mm. You don't. You don't get even when she kisses him on the raft. It's a bit like, what's she playing at? We don't know. We're in his head rather than hers. Yeah, I don't suppose you'd really expect um, 
<laughs> big, uh, you know, complicated psychological female writing from Eli Roth. From, well, especially Eli Roth at this point, who's fairly, I think he's like 28 at this point or something, isn't he? I mean, by the time Postal Part 2, which is a female-driven uh, film, I mean, it's not much better, is it? It's still pretty basic. <laughs> yeah, there is that. And, and, and the other thing, as you mentioned, that feels more uncomfortable in 2021 is the dialogue, which... Again, like, I, I, I feel like, yeah, people talk like that. It's maybe a bit self-consciously like, ooh, aren't we edgy putting all these words in? There's sometimes when you're like, did you need to put that there? Mm. Like, I mean, calling things gay was very that era. I mean, Beavis and Butthead were at it the whole time and, you know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't go down well now. <laughs> it just, it just, yeah, I think it's just one more reason to dislike them now in a way that maybe in 2002, 2003, like, it just, it wouldn't really have registered. Yeah. Hmm. I think the thing with this, because they're those kind of, that kind of humour, if you were, you know, around at the time, then why would you want to shoot squirrels because they're gay? It's still funny. If you're watching it for the first time in 2021, you're like, what the fuck just happened there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The bit that I used to really enjoy that really didn't play very well this time around is when Eli Roth himself shows up for his cameo. Oh. I didn't really... I, like, I used to find that really funny. And <laughs> now I'm like, oh, it's just a bit... I used to love the Dr. Mambo joke, yeah. It wasn't quite as funny as I remembered it. I still, I still kind of quite like it. But Eli Roth has such a... Don't you find him... He's such, got such a warm face. He, he just looks like a nice guy. I mean... I recently rewatched um, *Inglorious Bastards*. He's so good in it. It's just really watchable guy. Yeah, um, I guess the other thing that we haven't really touched on in this film is is the gore in it, and it's very very splashy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's lovely and spattery. I was quite happy that because like, I'm obviously now you can think of Eli Roth as the hostile hostile two guy, and that's kind of a lot of things getting cut off and people screaming, and I forgot how. Yeah, like obviously huge Evil Dead influence, but how much kind of yeah good, good fun splatter there was of things kind of yeah bursting and scraping off, and <laughs> is that bit when I think like Bert's running through the woods and just bit like he's just smearing bits of himself on the trees to distract people from to try and send them in the wrong direction, and all like the sicking up blood that the <laughs> uh, the homeless guy does. There's some really good just proper like blood vomits, and and I thought that was Larry Fessenden for ages, and uh, it's not. Ari Bevin, I think. A, yeah. Yeah. Looks I think in some ways the gore is the least memorable part of Cabin Fever. Um, and maybe that's why I you know, watch it every couple of years because I've forgotten all the, all the gore in it. Like, what actually happens? Because uh, it does I mean, take... The leg, it, the leg shaving still take, pretty Yeah, iconic, that's memorable, definitely. Like, but it takes a long time to get start getting to the, the gory stuff. And then it takes a long time to finish. There's about five endings. Yes, yeah, I had forgotten like how that was watching it again. I remembered it all kind of coming together very quickly and everyone getting it. Very cool. Yeah, all that stuff with him going to hospital, and then it's like, oh, what happens to various characters? Yeah, it definitely takes a, takes a while. Yeah, to get. that leg shaving bit is really horrible, but I think it, it's like the foley that sells that, isn't it? It's the, yeah, the effect is like not that. It's the, the scraping. No, it's really not. You, you, you didn't really see a lot, and 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 also, yeah, I watched it on Blu-ray this time, and I think that um, the other big sort of gory moment is when you find poor Karen in the shed who's had a face eaten off by a dog and that didn't look great uh-huh. on Blu-ray, gonna admit. Obviously, you you do that by putting a prosthetic on top of her face because you can't do anything else, but I think you can kind of tell, like, 
something to do with how her teeth and her I don't know. Yeah, it didn't her look great. Teeth are very me. like yeah, strong, and it's the um, I think the legs. Isn't it just like some holes in her leg, and it's a bit pink. But the sound, yeah, that you said the foley, the sound is incredible. It's horrid. And yeah, she's, she really sells it as well, Serena Vincent. I think, like, at the time, I remember a lot of people being quite, um, like, mocking that scene. Like, oh, she's really stupid. Like, how did she not realise? But I kind of think, like, at that point in the film, so it's it's when she's kind of done her whole big speech about... Um, uh, it's like when you're on a plane that's going down and you just want to grab the person next to you and fuck the shit out of them because you're about to die and she has sex with Paul and yeah, then they both, then he pours Listerine on his dick and she... about the Listerine. <laughs> um, and she, um, yeah, she has a bath and shaves her legs and shaves off well, that her skin, her, her legs are just falling apart basically. Um, but I think like, you know, we're saying about you don't understand Karen's perspective. I think you kind of can get into into Marcy's head a little bit there. Like, you know, she's just trying to feel normal. She's just trying to feel attractive. She's massively in denial. You know, there's a bit where she says, oh, you did a number on my back, as if these massive wounds that have opened up on her back are clearly just from him touching her <laughs> rather than the fact that she's got the disease and is falling apart. But yeah, so it's, it's that, it's that, it's a combination of for kind of for the sake of impact she needs to go back in for three swipes of the razor and then the last one's mm. where she really like takes a big chunk of flesh out <laughs> but yeah i can i can see that you would just be like you know i want to feel like myself i want to feel sexy and and i'm massively going to ignore the fact that my legs falling off can we talk about how dreadful the opening credits are the opening credits are shit and they go on for so long i've forgotten that they are long. so yeah. what's the point why is that happening <laughs> what what did what shit software did they make them i have on? no idea like they, and, yeah they're basically it's basically just like the names on a white screen that slowly kind of gets more rotten as as the credits roll but it's like well, we're sitting in the in the cinema in like 2003 watching this for like minutes at a time like is it just like is it just like you know in case you haven't had time to buy your popcorn like you got a second to nip out like what is that my notes I put they're so shit it's untrue. <laughs> and it's like it's like the Angelo Badalamenti music, which I always forget about until I see his name mm. in the credits. I was like, oh yeah, and that's because I think isn't it because Eli Roth was like a production assistant for David Lynch, so he got in with Angelo. Yeah, but yeah, that's always just one of those. How did that happen? Well, yeah, I mean the the we were talking earlier about Eli Roth being cancelled, and one of the articles that kind of got that cancellation very late uh, is him talking about how to make it in the film business. And he does talk about how you should take any job you can and get as much experience as possible before trying to direct your own film, because you need to learn, you know, how to deal with an actor who's having a bad day, what to do if there's a construction site next door, um, just generally how to handle things. And that like, even if you're the coffee boy, you can learn invaluable things that you wouldn't know, which I thought was that, that part is quite good advice. (laughs) The other part where he says you should hire pretty girls, um, even if they're not good at their jobs, because men want to look at them was uh, a little bit more misguided, I think. I mean, you could probably just have some women on your set because they're doing jobs because they're perfectly capable of doing that. But you know, (laughs) Okay, so our, our, our sort of 21, 2021 verdict on cabin fever is, I, I, I kind of think it still pretty much holds up. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised, I think. Yeah, me too. Like, I've got more reservations about yeah. it now, obviously. Um, but I think generally the spirit of it still, like, it's 
it's still fun. It's still it's still well made. I think yeah. um, you always get this with like debut features, don't you? Where you kind of see they're they're showing you that they like all the same stuff. Yeah, like it's like oh, like we love these kind of movies, and this is why we're making one. And it but it kind of gets how to do it well. I think it's not just like there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre shot, and there's like the Evil Dead references and stuff. But like it's he he kind of knows what he's doing, and the acting's good. Like Joey Kern, I'd forgotten how much fun he was. Like he's such a prick in it. He's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So the the final uh, punchline. Yes. Um, are, are we allowed to find it funny still? I think it's really clever. Is I, I think. Well, <laughs> I, I think what I don't like about it now is that the joke is at the expense of the kids who are offended by racism. And that makes me think about like the Green right. Inferno and the bizarre politics of that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In, but I do still think it's a funny misunderstanding. Yeah. It's just one of the. It's just. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, hold on, I'm not sure who I'm laughing at. Yeah, I think that's true of all. Like, get onto it with Hostel as well, but it does seem like Eli Roth. There's a lot of oh, but it's fine because of this, or like kind of, oh, but like actually it's about this, yeah. so don't worry about it. I was like, oh, I get why everyone's offended, but like, have you thought about it this way? And They've all kind of got that little get out of um, quite a big get out. <laughs> and sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's, I'm just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, it, it, it's this whole question of can you separate the art from the artist and stuff. I think some of the stuff that I gave a much freer pass to, I now look back with my aged eyes and think, oh, there's a bit of just, <laughs> just dickishness leaking into this, isn't there? Like, just... <laughs> There is, yeah, there is leaking dickishness for sure. Um. That's not the title of the episode. <laughs> should have put more. Should, should have put more listerine on it. Okay, um, let's do hostel then. This is this is the big one I think because this is the one that I really loved. Like cabin fever, I was obsessed with for a long time, but hostel was like this is a masterpiece. Um, very very briefly in like one sentence. What were you? What's what's your kind of? What was your? I guess feelings about hostel before a rewatch. How? What do you feel about hostel? Or did you feel about Hostel? I loved it. I, I I think I was going through a phase in 2005 of this is not going to be brief. Um, I think I was going, <laughs> I think I was going through a phase in 2005, and you know, very much ongoing in in ways of just not going to see American films. I was I'd like I was done with Hollywood, and I would hardly ever go and see a big you know American film at the cinema and I think I must have seen a trailer for Hostel when I went to see The Hills of Ice he says completely contradicting it's <laughs> so... French director, though, so it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah Alexandre Aja I'd loved Saint-Cyr. and um, so I went to see Hills of Ice it was rubbish um, but I think I must have seen the the trailer for Hostel which was out two two weeks later I was at the stage of my job where I was like so bored of my job that that day, the day that Hostel came out, I decided, fuck it, I'm just going to take a three hour lunch break, go to the cinema and not tell anyone. And so, <laughs> so I did that, got away with it because like no one would know. So um, yeah, so I saw, saw Hostel on the lunchtime of the day it came out, loved it. Um, I've always loved it. Now, my feelings on Hostel have not changed over the years. <laughs> okay, Johnny? It's an odd one. I, I remember going to see it and I remember being really, I think I was impressed by it. I don't think I loved it because, I don't know, I find, I, I think I, I've found and still find those kinds of films that aren't Saw related quite hard to love. 
I do remember kind of being shit up by it and finding it really effective and being like, oh yeah, Hostel's really scary um, and like really gross <laughs> and it will shit you up if you watch it. Yeah, like I've never owned Hostel. Um, I kind of thought I did. I keep every now, every few years, I think like, oh, should I watch Hostel again? I was like, oh, I don't own it. Oh, never mind. Which I think kind of is a pretty good indicator given how many shit and good, and good to be clear, I own good films too, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, how many kind of horror movies from the noughties I own and still own. I've never owned Hostel, and that probably says a bit of something about how I feel about okay. it. Okay, I weirdly, I kind of, kind of similar to Cliff. I saw it. I was working as an audio typist straight out of university, and um, I think I was working a half day, and I saw it in the morning, and then like went <laughs> to work after lunch, like having just seen Hostel at yeah like eleven a.m. screening or something. Um, and I remember just like, like almost physically shaking, just feeling like really, really anxious and like really um, like fucked up by it. And that was obviously great. <laughs> like that was what I wanted to feel. I wanted to feel like, Ugh. like that's properly like got me. So um, for anyone who's not seen Hostel, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll shit you up. Um, it is about a couple of American. I was gonna say teenagers. I guess they're not, are they? They're sort of early twenties. Yeah, they're at college, yeah. but it seems like they're nearing the end of college, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. So the couple of uh, American friends who go backpacking around Europe and find themselves sort of disappointed by how many Americans there already are. And so when they meet uh, a weird kid uh, <laughs> one night who says, I can tell you where the best women in Europe are and they will fuck you when they hear you have an American accent and there's no Americans there because... There's, no one knows about it. Um, they're all up for it, so they head off to deepest, darkest Slovakia, where they are lured into a establishment where rich businessmen can come and kill people for the thrill of it, which is a pretty horrifying idea. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's not what you... I mean, they, they don't reveal that until later on. That's kind of the twist, isn't it? I remember being surprised by how late that... Mm. It all kind of kicks off because obviously that's what the film. I mean, the film was sold as like you're going to get murdered abroad and like tortured to death. But there's a good, it's about halfway through, isn't it? Before like Oli goes missing, like their Icelandic buddy. There's a really long time. Yeah, I think it is almost halfway through that. Um, yeah, that yeah. So they've hooked up with an Icelandic guy who gets killed. I wrote down the time. I think it's about thirty three minutes when he's he's uh, killed off. But it's about. 40 something of a 93 minute movie where um one of our main guys like the whole like yeah. they're they're partying they're drunk they're feeling a bit weird and drugged up and then there's a bit where the whole screen goes black and when he opens his eyes he's in the in the chair tied up and about to be tortured which i always really liked as like uh just a nice bit of structure like the first oh. half is these guys running around europe thinking that they can just buy and sell girls you know they go to a brothel they assume that because the dollar is a stronger currency than anything in any of these countries they can just buy whatever the fuck they want they can do drugs they can just you know pick up women um and and then halfway through they find out that uh the women have had their revenge to some degree and that they've sold them into this horrifying scheme yeah i just quite like how balanced it is I like the scheme makes it sound like a business. <laughs> well, it, what is it? Business, it turns but, yeah. out to be. <laughs> Certainly in Hostel yeah. too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but even in Hostel, there's that line where where when um, Paxton, Jay Hernandez, uh, realises what's going on and he turns to the girl that he's been hooking up with and says, uh, you bitch. And she says, 
I get the lot of money for you and that makes you my bitch, mm. which is lovely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've <laughs> got a lot more sympathy for her now than I ever did before. <laughs> I, I love the way that it starts out as a frat boy comedy, turns into a, a mystery then suspense and then like full on splatter film and then um you know action at the end uh it's it's got everything it's it's just so well structured and it keeps you on your feet keeps you on your toes and it's, it's i think it's just really brilliantly written and and performed and how, didn't you say sarah a episode or two ago that cj used to be friends with Ethel gunjinson who plays ollie i, I used to be friends with oh Ethel. you were i thought you said cj was yeah, I think I did tell this story, but I'll tell it again. He, um, I think I, so I interviewed him for some magazine or something at, at the time as well. And then he messaged me and said, hey, I'm going to be in London. Come hang out with the coolest people in London. We can have a party, whatever. Um, so I was like, sure. And then I was dating my now husband at the time. Um, so I like made him come with me, partly because he's also a Hostel fan, but partly because I probably was terrified <laughs> that I was going to be sold into a limb cutting off scheme. Um, but yes, and the, so 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 <laughs> CJ and I went to the hotel that Ethel was staying in and he was there with his wife and we drank very expensive cocktails and chatted all night. And that was basically it. It was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a party. So we're like, so that means we are the coolest people in London then, <laughs> I guess. It was very lovely. He's, um, He's a very interesting guy. I think he he there are there are obviously facets of his personality that he has brought to the role in in Hostel because he's not an actor. He's a oh. he's a businessman, um, but How did he, get he is gig? also just much smarter. And I think just because he knew Eli Roth, <laughs> just because uh, Eli Roth used to go to Iceland a lot and probably still does, um, as we will find out in Hostel Part Two as well. Because uh, Cabin Fever is actually inspired by a flesh-eating skin disease that he Ooh. caught on a horse farm in Iceland. Um, so I think he just used to go to Iceland a lot, and there's only about 12 people that live in Iceland, so I guess they became friends. <laughs> <laughs> that was a diversion. What were we, what were we talking about Hostel. <laughs> well, I know, Hostel, <laughs> before I just decided to, you know, name drop, clang. Um I think the fact that I have watched it so many times over the years and the fact that like it's now on the small screen rather than the big screen does mean that I didn't have that physical reaction I did the first time anymore. Like I don't have that pure adrenaline rush from it anymore, but I still admire its structure. And yeah, the way we've talked about Cabin Fever today, I kind of, I think there's a lot that applies to both of them just in the, in you know, talking about characters and how likable or not they are. This does much the same thing in that those kids are pretty fucking horrible. I think Paxton he is particularly unpleasant. Yeah, and I love the I love the way that he's absolutely lined up to be you know killed fairly early on, and yet yes. you had just had no choice but to root for him by the end because he's the last one yes. left. Yes, I always love that, and I loved the way that um, that Josh, his his mate, like he seems like the nice nicer one. He's still a dick. Like. Well, he's still a dick, but like, you know, when they go to the brothel, he doesn't want to take advantage of anyone. He doesn't, he just leaves. Um, and he's like a bit more shy, a bit more nerdy. Um, he's, we're told, I think, that he's uh, still hung up on his ex girlfriend, although later on it sort of emerges that he's probably closeted gay. Mm, so maybe, don't know, don't know what we think of those scenes now where um, he. So because the, because Eli Roth is Eli Roth, um, I think there's a big section of the first half of Hostel that is essentially Eurotrip. No. 
there's a, there's a, I'm sure there's a scene in Eurotrip where they're on a train and I haven't seen Eurotrip for years, but I think something to do with when they go through a tunnel and everything's dark, there's a guy that's like, like groping the girls, I think. And it's, it's sort of, it's positioned as like, you know, um, well, it's dark and so obviously there's nothing they can do about it. So it's just like this kind of like trepidation of going into another tunnel and this big stupid joke. But it feels like that's what Ilya Roth is riffing on when the Dutch businessman um, comes into the cabin with the guys and puts his hand on Josh's leg and he reacts mm. violently against this, but later meets him in a club and they have a conversation about, yeah, when I was your age, I would have done the same thing, etc., etc. Yeah, I, th- I wonder if that's Eli Roth growing up a bit and saying, sorry, sorry, I called squirrels gay. I don't have anything against yes. gays. Yeah, I think probably. But I, I think also, yeah, that, that whole thing kind of sets Josh up as your protagonist and then it turns out halfway mm. through he just gets murdered and you're like, oh, that's a shock and, and a nice one. <laughs> always nice in a horror film when you think you know who the who the survivors are and they're not yeah yeah absolutely i'm sure i'm just looking at my notes and i'm sure i must have said this on devil times five um but ollie has that line i'm sure glad i shaved my balls i have the smoothest balls smoothest balls in iceland like the smoothest the smith did he iron them (laughs) shaving them doesn't make them smooth (laughs) they're wrinkly fuckers still (laughs) i didn't get that close to find out what that was about <laughs> um i like uh mildred jedi havius havelis um who plays the receptionist uh but obviously well they, they couldn't get giuseppe andrews uh for this for this one so this one for the next yeah best exactly thing. just found a lookalike he's great and and oh i don't remember what the actor's name is who plays the the dutch businessman but he is amazing yeah, he's fantastic you can think about the structure as well I really thought I might find it boring this time around because I hadn't seen it for a while. But you, you, yeah, once you've seen it once, you know where exactly where it's going, and you know kind of where the kind of big shocks come. But actually, I was still pretty kind of taken in by it. Like I think, like yeah, like I said it's very well structured, and you just kind of, I think partly because you can't remember how bad it gets. I think that was the thing that got me this time. Was like, what happens in this bit? I remember it being bad. And then, like, yeah, like Josh with his ankles. I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Oh, that's horrid. Yeah. I think the most horrid bit is when Paxton pukes while he's got the ball gag in his mouth. Oh, that is nasty, yeah. Yeah. I think, thinking about how, how horrible the characters are, like, I think it's clever enough that you do get those moments of, they're not, like, monsters. There's, like, things that they are, like, trying to look after. I think Kazukana, the Japanese girl. Yeah. They kind of like offer to take it to the train station and stuff like that. And you don't read that as like mean, you read it as like, we should try and get out of here and take everyone with us. Yeah. And I'd forgotten about that. I'd remembered just Paxson being awful the whole way through. And like, he's an entitled dickhead and it's a lot of bad qualities, but he's not going to just leave. There him. is a fucking horrendous Paxton line. There's a really, that I never remembered where they're in Amsterdam and he says... Uh, I hope bestiality's legal in Europe because that girl's a hog. Reply, uh, referring to a a prostitute in a yeah, in a brothel window who is really not a fan <laughs> at all. <laughs> I, I rewound it because I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> I must have missed something. <laughs> I was so confused. Just like, huh? <laughs> um, he is. Yes, he. He. Yeah, I think. Uh, I actually just think this film's really well written and like I feel like I need to apologise but like there's a nice bit where Josh and Paxton are walking around and chatting about um, 
you know, their feelings uh, when Ollie's gone missing. And Paxton remembers when he was a kid seeing Mm. a girl drown and being an eight-year-old and not being able to save her in time and being haunted by her mother's screams. And I think that that, then you're supposed to remember that at the point where he is at the art gallery uh, and can hear... uh, is, is it Kana? No, it's not, is it? It is Kana, yeah, that he goes back to get. And he, yeah, goes back to rescue her. Because otherwise you're like, why are you so... Yeah, you've escaped, just fucking run. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they kind of have already given you that facet of his character, which I just think is nice. And again, it's that thing where you're like, yeah, I can believe these guys are friends. I, be, you know, I, I, I kind of buy into the history yeah. between them. I... Um, which of the endings do you prefer? I didn't know there were different ones. So in the main the 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 main the main ending, the theatrical ending, I guess, is um uh where Paxton kills the businessman at the station. But in the alternative ending, he doesn't kill him, he abducts her he abducts his daughter, his like five year old daughter or whatever. No, that's that's vile. I mean, well how does that play? Like is he Um he, the the guy comes out of the bog looks around for his daughter, sees the train going off with Paxton sitting next to his daughter on the train. But So are we to take it that Paxton... Obviously he's taking her as revenge, I guess, but is he supposed to be kind of saving yeah. her from her fucking terrifying father? Or is it like, I don't know, what's he going to do oh, with the kid? And point. also, what's, what, what yeah, is his plan? <laughs> mm. Well, I wonder if... Yeah, I mean, it might hark back to the girl that he saved in the lake if he saved... Yeah, that's what I was wondering if it's meant to be that. Because, yeah, I mean, Ah. that can't be fun growing up with that guy as your dad. Do you notice um, How Do from The Wicker Man playing at a pertinent point? That's lovely, isn't it? Because in The Wicker Man, if he had have had sex with her, then he wouldn't have been a good sacrifice. Whereas here, I guess... I mean, it's not that having sex seals their fate, but it kind of does. Yeah, it's a nice little clue as to where the... Uh, where everything's leading. Yeah. I think, like, and this is really where, I guess, you see the kind of the different influences from uh, Eli Roth kind of coming out. I know there's still lots of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but this is really where he's showing his J-horror love and there's that Takashi Miike cameo, um, <laughs> mm. which I'd forgotten about. I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, she kind of got him over to say kind of one line. And like, I kind of really, I think that like the partnership with Quentin Tarantino makes so much sense kind of on kind of both good and bad levels of just sort of massive geekery and... I had forgotten it was a Quentin Tarantino Presents movie until it started. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, he was, like, he did fully align himself with Eli Roth kind of very quickly. I think there's a quote where he called Cabin Fever, like, Eli Roth is the future of American horror. He he called Eli Roth the Frank Sinatra of the Splat Pack. <laughs> wow. Is it because he's the only one who wears the suit? Is it because he's the, the best-looking one or something? Oh, is Frank Sinatra the best-looking? <laughs> but he was, like, he was out in... He was really out in front as, like, kind of the face of... I mean, face of his own movies, mm. but he, he was, he, he was Eli, in the new Eli Roth film, it was like Eli Roth's Hostel, I think, wasn't it? Like, he was really presented as a, like, you, you go and see a film by this guy that you've, you've recognised and you know about kind of very quickly after Cabin Fever. Yeah, I mean, I guess that maybe that was a bit of Tarantino-esque sort of branding, like, you know, even if you mm. didn't know his name, it was right there on the poster, so once you'd seen the film, you do know the name now. So again, like I was really expecting this to be the episode where I went, I love these films and now I hate them, but that kind of hasn't happened. That, what is there to hate about them? <laughs> Honestly, I know. I keep expecting there to be like, a, like, there's been a few films that I've watched and gone, oh, actually, I like this more than I used to, but um, I've not had any where I've gone, oh no, I really hate this now. I think like Hostel was one that I was I was worried about Cabin Fever and Hostel, and I had seen Cabin Fever more recently and remember still enjoying it. I think Hostel. 
one of the reasons why I don't feel like my opinion's changed about it really that much. Like I still like it probably to about the same extent, which is kind of not love, but like impressed by it. I think because it is, it is very well made. Like it's, it's not dated and it's, it's not just shock. It's not just gory. Like it is well constructed and well shot. And again, the performances are good. And it's like, you believe all the characters and what they're going through. I was kind of prepared for it to be a bit of a mess, but actually it's really not a mess it's at quite all. quite careful. Like yeah, very well put together. I like, I like the way yeah. that the car chase at the end is so low octane, like you're getting 70s car chases. Just just in traffic for most <laughs> yeah. of it, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Although I was sad, to, uh, like, I, I, I don't know why. I think maybe it's just the performance of, uh, I don't want to try and say her name because I know I'm going to mess it up, but um, Barbara... Nadelyakova. Nadelyakova, yeah, that's probably it. I've been learning Russian for two years and I still can't say things like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think she's so great in this movie. I just really love her. (laughs) Yeah, she's really fun. When she turns, she's great. But even before that, like that lovely bit in the the spa where her and Ollie are singing a Russian song together for some reason. (laughs) It's just fun. But again, I I can totally see why people hate this film. Like it's not... um... It's not a comfortable film. Yeah, it's not one where I'd be like, what do you mean you don't like Hostel? I was like, oh yeah, fair enough, I get it. Like it is. I first saw it the day after I'd first seen Saw 2. And uh, I, I'd been very disappointed by Saw 2. I love it now, but, you know, at the time I was like, eh, it's not as good. Um, and so, yeah, I guess Hostel was just it's just what I needed to, you know, <laughs> reaffirm my, uh, you know, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> <laughs> Horror fandom, Refreshed your love of. Well, I was gonna say it's not really Hollywood movie though, is it? It's not like it's you know, it's not Spielberg. No, I mean, like because it wasn't. In, in, sorry, going back to the Tarantino thing, but wasn't it inspired by them having a conversation about like, oh, like he they'd found this website where you could like book a book a murder scenario or something that like you could murder someone yeah. for money, and him and Quentin Tarantino kind of like battered that around. Like it does feel like it's got that energy of someone showing you something on their phone. Like, oh, like come and look at this. Shit. <laughs> yes. Apparently, uh, Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News told Eli Roth about this alleged website, and then yeah, he was chatting to Quentin Tarantino well, about it. Speaking yeah. about problematic people, <laughs> problematic people, and also just that like early two thousands vibe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's got yeah. It does, and I think I kind of say this with every kind of Black Pat movie and uh, the the torture porny stuff. But yeah, the fact this was a massive hit, and I think a lot of that must have been driven by yeah the fact that it was such a must have been great to work on the marketing team the online marketing team for this like kind of all the teasers and stuff and posters like building awareness of oh this this really dangerous film that is based on a true story apparently or maybe mm, maybe yeah it's like had that real kind of yeah like not hollywood at all like this was kind of like yeah the thing that oh i guess like day see saw like that are you brave enough to go and see hostel definitely oh, i miss that like the idea that a film is dangerous and not just because it's like like, I don't know. I, I didn't feel that thrill from stuff like The Human Centipede where I'm like, ah, I just don't want to feel sick. I want to feel scared. Yeah, it's the difference between like, are you going to feel offended and like, are you actually able to take how scary this is? Yeah, I want it to be scary. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I feel like a lot of people at the time as well were kind of criticising it for being racist like or, or xenophobic, I guess, in a, in a, oh, it's about how, uh, you know, how dangerous the rest of the world is compared to compared to America it's like it's not about that at all it's about these guys who think they own the world finding out that actually other people aren't just there for their amusement well it's that thing isn't it if you're offending both sides then you're doing something right 
So I, I don't <laughs> I don't know if they were offending both sides. Oh no, I definitely remember was... there being like Americans saying, "Oh, this is a satire." Uh, they're, they're having a go at Americans for you know being colonialist, and other people saying, "Oh no, this is some American film saying how scary Eastern Europe is." So. You know, that's not really both sides, I suppose. Both sides of the Atlantic. If you're offending both sides of the Atlantic, you're doing something right, uh, is the, the phrase, the old adage. It's so weird, though, because, like, I bought a, um, like, a tourist guidebook thing for Ukraine, I don't know, like, two years ago, maybe. And, like, you know, the, the, we're at a point where you, you can't even buy, like, a guidebook to Lviv or to Kiev. Um, you have to buy just a, a whole book of Ukraine. You can fit the whole thing in one one, one <laughs> lonely planet. But but even that was talking about, you know, the women there are so beautiful and, and uh, the pop stars are so naked. And <laughs> pop stars like, are so naked. <laughs> <laughs> it has a section where it says, um, oh, God, I wish I'd dug it out for this. It says something about how most of the popular music in Ukraine is porno pop where the appeal is to look at the female performers bodies rather than the music and as a Ukrainian pop music enthusiast I took great offense (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I just thought but like watching this even the scene where they uh, are locked out of their hostel because it's past curfew and going to that random guy's uh, flat in in Amsterdam um, he even says like if you're looking for girls you can go as far as Ukraine but you only have to go as far as Slovakia (laughs) I was like, I can't believe that that attitude kind of still persists to the point where I can buy a guidebook in 2019 that still tells me how sexy everyone is in Ukraine or the women in Ukraine. That's mad. I've never seen anything like that in a a guidebook. I've got a whole shelf full of them. I've never seen anything like that. (laughs) Uh, Like literally horrifying. I'll I'll find it for you. Uh, Well, it's in a section where it says um, uh, female travellers will be totally safe if they travel to Ukraine. And are beautiful. No, no, no. If if you are, uh, you know, if you're a British woman and you go to Ukraine, you won't be bothered by the locals. They wouldn't bother to sexually harass you because Ukrainian women are all far more beautiful. <laughs> I was like, I was like, right. Number one, what? Number two, that's not how anything works. What? <laughs> <laughs> literally not <laughs> what the fuck is this fucking thing it sounds like i bought this like down a back alley it's literally like i can't i can't remember who the publisher is but it's like a major guidebook it's really fucked up i will i will show you oh, later yeah. but in the meantime let's do hostel part two uh yes <laughs> so hostel part two sort of the same plot isn't it yeah but i really didn't like it when i first saw it i don't like it now i don't like it ever but uh, spoilers but um, in Hostel Part 2, a group of female travellers, uh, they start off in Rome, they're heading to Prague, they meet a stranger who says, don't want to go to Prague, it's all tourists, why don't you come to Slovakia where there are hot springs and hang out with me? Uh, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I liked and only noticed, I think, this time because I'd watched Hostel and Hostel 2 so close together is that the guy in... Hostel, who lures them there, is called uh, Alexi, and the girl in Hostel Part 2 is called Axel, which is Ooh. kind of the same name, just slightly different letter arrangement, and they both have like a mole on their lip, and I have no idea what that is supposed to mean, <laughs> if anything, but it's kind of like it's the gender yeah. swapping of that character, it's so weird. But yes, yeah, so they uh, they head off, they go back to the same hostel, and we are all delighted to see that they're still watching Pulp Fiction 
on the TV in that lobby, that the desk clerk Jedi is still there, and that everything works pretty much the same way, uh, except that now we also have a parallel sort of story where a couple of American businessmen are coming to the hostel to kill American girls, and they're, and they're women, so that changes the dynamic a bit, I guess. Um, yeah, and and I, I I didn't like it when I, in fact I disliked it so violently that that was the end of my Eli Roth fandom. Like I went from I will marry this guy to I'm never going to watch one of your movies again. Tell me about your first experience. Let's go, Cliff. Um, I saw it on day of release because I loved the original so much. Yep, same. So I think again, I think it was a morning screening. I remember dri- driving out to Brighton Marina probably before I started work for the day, and um, yeah, I was so so disappointed. And um, the reason being that it's like it's not quite when subtext is made text and it goes shit, but <laughs> but you don't need to be shown tourists coming and paying and buying these torture rooms. And I just I don't I, th- I still don't think that works very well. Those those scenes, no. the scenes with the girls getting into trouble is a lot more fun. I've I've grown to like that, but. I don't know, and it looks so horrible. It's all orange. It does look fucking horrible. I was really shocked by that. Same cinematographer, I think. Yeah. uh, Having been sort of uh, pleasantly surprised by how nice Cabin Fever looks, admittedly, on Blu-ray, and then Hostel looked how I remembered it, and then Hostel Part 2 was like, did you, like, drop your camera? Like, what's going on? Why does it look all... Why does it look shit? (laughs) What it reminded me of is is what... Like, when we did amateur pictures of my band... (laughs) And they're just like, oh, well, it just looks like they're standing in front of a sheet in the living room. What do I do? Turn the fucking contrast yes. way up. And now it looks looks almost professional, honest. And that's what it looked like they'd had to do with this film. They had a much bigger budget. And I remember like, some of the reviews talk about how stylish it is. I know, it's bizarre. Um, so what, what was your first experience then, Jonathan? I went to see it when it came out. I remember thinking, like, oh, it's kind of fine, but also... Again, like I didn't rewatch it. I think I watched it once and was like, yeah, okay. Like I, d- I preferred the first one. I'm not sure I kind of knew exactly what didn't work for me, but I remember thinking at the time that, yeah, it didn't gel the two, having the two stories happening simultaneously, the American tourists and the American businessman coming to kill them. Mm. Yeah, I think weirdly watching it now, kind of enjoy the American businessman stuff a little bit more. Like it's a bit more ambitious. Like it's, or it's not ambitious, but it's trying something different. And I think that's kind of... It, it, it feels like he's trying something which I think would then... It reminded me of Green Inferno and I was like, oh, yeah, like, you you tried this again it didn't really work. Sort of like Ameri- like rich Americans, like, going somewhere and fucking it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. The comedy's not as good. Like, nothing really feels like it's gelling. Whereas the first one's so, like, streamlined and well-structured. This one, the structure's definitely all over the place. Yeah. I think the stuff with the... With the two American businessmen who are played by American TV actors. Roger Bart and Richard Berge. I watched The Producers recently, the film version of the musical version of The Producers. And Roger Bart, who plays Stuart in this, he plays the campest, um, queeniest costume designer or something. Um, he's amazing in The Producers. And in Hostel Part 2, he looks like Cousin Andy from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's, I mean, what an actor. <laughs> what range. That's why, yeah, that's why they cast him, isn't it? Because he he's, he's plays a lot of sub- suburban dads and sort of, yeah, mm. like a lot of nice or kind of very just gentle people. And I'm not sure his ter- his turn 
it might be the dialogue, but his script, like his dialogue, as soon as he goes horrible, is fucking awful. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about with these two <laughs> characters. So it is set up that there's his mate, who's very sort of brash, gung ho, like yeah, let's go, and he is sort of positioned as the like reluctant, like tag, like he's brought along on this. He doesn't really want to get the the tattoo that they all have if they're part of the elite hunting organization. Um, he's but, but although it's because he's worried about how he'll explain it to his wife. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Is that what the Teletubbies referring to when they say "ao"? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, that was a weird association that you're. <laughs> so weird. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so he's supposed to be like the nice one who's sort of reluctant, but he's going along out of I guess curiosity and loyalty to his mate. Um, and then he meets the girl that he has agreed to kill. And also they, they know who the people are that they're going to kill because it's all done through an app. They can bid on specific specific Americans or, or, or whatever and other nationalities for different prices. Um, so they meet her at a harvest festival because we're still doing the Wicker Man and like chats to her and is nice. And then like when we get to the hostel bit... It turns out that the nasty, um, the nasty one, kind of can't finish the job. He finds that at the crucial moment he's unable to kill this girl. Whereas <sighs> Roger Bart, whatever his name is, he seems like he's going to help her. He's being really nice to her, and then for some reason he just inexplicably like goes nasty and is like, "I, I, I can't kill my wife, so I'm going to kill you." And it's just like, what? It's so bizarre, um, and I feel like. It's trying to say something about masculinity and the idea of the beta male, or I guess now we would say incel, but um, doesn't doesn't work because it's badly written. Yeah, I don't think it is very well written, this film. There's bits in it I like. I think some of the... I almost said traps. <laughs> saw on the brain. I mean, that Bathory... Yeah, that Bathory thing. Um, I mean, that is almost like a saw trap, especially in the way that it really ups the game compared to the previous film. It's like, it's very DIY, the talk mm. in the first film. And then, like, all of a sudden you've got this fucking enormous bathroom thing with a swimming pool or whatever it is and blood pouring down. Yes, I want to talk about that yeah. as well. The So... The first of the girls to get captured is like the geeky one who's tagging along with them who nobody likes. And she is murdered by a character credited as Mrs. Bathory, who, yeah, hangs her upside down and naked over a bathtub, lies underneath her and slits her throat and and rolls around in her blood. Um, Which is a scene that goes on for fucking ages. (laughs) I didn't remember how long that goes on for. It's so long. Um, But all I could think the whole time was like, we saw what this place is like in the first movie and like to get to the sort of grimy, disgusting little torture rooms, you have to walk through what looks like a room of, of just rubble. Yeah. And then this woman who kind of comes in in a robe all slinky and gets naked and lies down in this posh bath. I just, I couldn't in my, I was just like, I just, I don't see how this very rich woman who wants to bathe in the blood of young girls <laughs> in this nice posh bath. Like I can't imagine her walking through the front entrance. Oh, like in this whole film, the whole um, sort of hostile operation has been massively upgraded, like that that app and everything else. And I just think they should have like tidied up the the, the front room. <laughs> <laughs> They've got that secret room, which is really easy to accidentally open. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Like, yeah, a row of like severed heads in there, including fucking Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News. Um, I mean, it's like it's some real stupid martyrs shit. Yeah, it is. It it, it just it. 
it doesn't work for me in the same way that like I could believe that there is a very 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 underground in the first one very very underground like thing that's very like whisper networky like and you you pay your money and you go in and you kill someone like I could sort of believe that I can't believe that there's this fucking international app where you can bid on someone and then you fly in in your private helicopter like they literally get a helicopter to the hostel I just feel like they'd be expecting a more luxe experience after all that than just a room full of rubble. Like you just be like, the fuck is this shit? Um, it it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem plausible to me that that could be how this operation works and like yeah. nobody knows about it. It feels like it could be a grimy underground thing. This big thing with an app, nah, mm. I don't yeah. think so. It just doesn't all hold together, and it's not it's not nitpicking on the realism of the thing, but it, it's just <laughs> it's, it's not it's not it, it's it just you've got to feel that it could happen. And yeah, it just I doesn't persuade you. Party, it doesn't. Yeah, I think I guess like in the first one, it's just it's just a nice little town that they find, isn't it? And there's like a little club. But yeah, now there's like a harvest festival, and the spa, obviously. But it just it feels like, yeah, like why? How would no one know about this place now? There's just so much more evidence yeah. as well. Like it just seems like a bad idea. <laughs> like just you've not thought this through, guys. Like you you needed to upgrade. Like they have upgraded their security. Uh, I noticed that since the first film, but I don't think they've upgraded it enough. And then do we talk about what happens in the end with Beth, our our main character, and how she escapes from the hospital? I cannot think of any other horror film where someone buys themselves out to freedom, actually pays to to escape. It's interesting. It should be interesting, but somehow it doesn't... I just don't know. There's something just a bit like... Well, what is this film trying to say to me? Like, if you've got money, you you've can get away money, with anything. anything. Exactly. Yeah. It's a satire on rich white Americans. Yeah, but she's she's our she's our heroine, isn't she? Yeah, and she uses like a load of inherited wealth to survive. That's, doesn't seem right. Seems a bit confused. It's, it, it's not narratively satisfying, <laughs> no. but it makes sense in the world of Hostel. I mean, it's quite narratively... Well, is it... it I, I think it should be narratively satisfying that they, they set up early on. I, I just... I don't want to acknowledge this so fucking stupid. That if somebody calls her a cunt, she just goes mad. Like, insult her, torture her, anything else, she sort of deals with it. But if somebody dares to call her a cunt, she's... That's it. She's going to, like, fuck them up. Because that happens when um, they are on the train and there are some men being horrible to them. So in the hostel where she's bargaining her way out, Roger Bart calls her a cunt and so she chops off his genitals. Which are surprisingly big, given how scared he must be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're here. I'm I'm glad you guys are here for the male perspective on this. (laughs) Right, so Hostel 2... I remember actually going into it with some trepidation because I'd read an interview or a feature in, I think, maybe Total Film about this film and Eli Roth talking about how feminist it was, but his take on feminism seemed deeply misguided. And having seen the film, I'm like, this is like feminism, but like through a weird funhouse mirror of like you being a massive bro doesn't really understand what women are. Mm. Yes. I think it does. Like, it's got a lot of that. I think, like I was talking about earlier, the sort of. Like, oh, yeah, you might think it's this, but actually, like, it's this. If you look at it, like, have you t- considered this perspective on it? And, yeah, like, Hostel 2 does kind of... It doesn't do that anywhere near as nimbly as, yeah, like, Hostel or Cabin Fever do. I think, yeah, especially at the end. Like, it's not feminist just because she cuts his dick off. Like, that doesn't make a film feminist. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's got a lot of kind of mean leeriness 
that I think like the had the battery scene I, I just thought went on too long I really that bothered me um and she's so naked while it's happening. Like like a Ukrainian pop star. There's a line about Ukraine in this one too, <laughs> interestingly. In Rome at the beginning, when they are arranging their, where they're going next, Beth is on the phone to her dad and she says, it's Prague, it's not the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. uh, you don't have to book, uh, book us the Four Seasons or something like that. That, is, that wasn't word for word. But um, what is going on? Everyone's slagging off Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> Stop banging on, fucking hell. <laughs> Um, oh, the other thing that I wanted to have a moan about in this film. The hot spring scene. Yeah. It's in Iceland! It's the Blue Lagoon! It's so yeah. recognisably the Blue Lagoon. It's not a hot spring in Bratislava. <laughs> like, it's not! The, the girl on the train's like, oh, come with me, I go to this hot spa, the men do not bother me, um, blah, blah, blah. And then, like... <laughs> film when they take them to the the naked spa and stuff like why did nobody mention this fucking gigantic blue Ooh. lagoon that's apparently just around the corner <laughs> it's just because i eli roth wanted a fucking well, holiday to iceland that's what that is yeah they had another five million budget so it's not all shot in iceland is it no but that that part you know definitely is because because that's the only place on earth that looks like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it really looks very like it doesn't blend with the rest of it. When she like runs out and she's suddenly back in Slovakia again, it's like, wait, where was the spring? It's just another one of those things where it's just like, this: the world of this film does not hold together. Yeah. What I will say, though, is that on its own, not as a sequel, it's a good film. I think if, you, if it wasn't a sequel, I think, I think you'd enjoy it I a lot more. I don't agree. There's things that I think are interesting about it. I think I'd still think it was stupid. The fucking severed head room. <laughs> there's no film where I would accept that. <laughs> I did like Lauren German in it, but I had forgotten that she was in it and we've been watching quite a lot of Lucifer in lockdown. And I was like, oh yeah, it's a detective from Lucifer. Um, and Heather Matarazzo is obviously great. She's really good, yeah, I really like her. It's, it's, it's such a shame she's the first to die, but um, there you go. And she's such a wet blanket in it, it's just, it's just so mean. And that's not clever casting, casting Heather Matarazzo as the, like, the one you feel sorry for who has something horrible happens to, because that's literally every character that she plays. No. I think, I, I mean, I, I've, uh, I was going to say this earlier, but the, the fact that that battery scene that goes on for so fucking long, like, she mm. did that herself, like, literally hung naked upside down to film that scene. And, and I just think it's unnecessary. Like, she didn't need to be naked. I just feel sorry for her. I just feel bad. Like... This poor actress hanging upside down for nine minutes at a time in the nude so you can just about get her nipples in the shot. Like, it feels yeah. ick. Um, you mentioned the Takashi Mika cameo. Uh, so obviously Ruggiero Diodato turns up in this he one. He does. That yeah, is a that's nice fun. Cameo. Yeah, that's like fun, cameo. isn't it? Good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was looking at um, the history of it coming out and this obviously made a lot less money than the first hustle. And which is entirely blamed by La Roth on the piracy of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to cover you would immediately make a sequel to Hostel, kind of assume that that's going to work twice, like on, on like a massive you know, multiplex level. Well, like I said, I saw it the day after I saw Saw 2, and um, yeah, look yeah. what happened to the Saw series. Just rocketed, went amazing. I mean, not in, not in terms of box office necessarily, just like in terms of how brilliant it is. Maybe maybe Hostel Part Two could have gone. Maybe the Hostel series could have gone that way if they were building on it, and if they'd bothered. But you know, it's it's a bit half-assed. Um, I, like I say, I do think it works as a standalone film, not as a sequel. Do you think if the Saw franchise had not been knocking out one movie a year, they could have spent a bit more time on Hostel Two, or do you think it like it would have been anyway? Like you need to cash in on this craze. Like it just feels like it needed another half a dozen drafts to like really 
tighten up what it was saying, what it was mm. doing, how it worked. The first one feels so careful, and this one feels like, you know, you knocked it out to get it done, to get it in cinemas as fast as you could. Yeah, it does have that feeling of, like, he wants to show people that he can write women. Um, yeah, shame he can't. <laughs> yeah, shame he can't. Um, and, and I guess, like, also... You can tell that he loves the world that he's created and that he kind of, it feels like, he he doesn't seem like he's bored making it. It feels like he wants to be making a Hostel sequel. Like, and it's like, you know, he didn't make Cabin Fever 2. But then, mm. uh, he's he's someone who, I think, you know, like, he's such a canny kind of, both in, like, in terms of PR, like, he's always been, you know, until recently, um, been very good at, like, playing to his audience. Like, he knows exactly who his audience is and what they want. And... Like kind of hooking up with Tarantino is obviously, yeah, that's what every indie director wanted to do. It feels like he sort of saw that the craze was still happening and was a good shout maybe to make Hostel Part 2 and then saw it didn't work. So it's like, okay, well, what do I do next? And then, yeah, I guess we'll talk about kind of pivoted into becoming Kalila Roth Presents. And yeah, like it did seem to take the time to kind of figure out, okay, well, what am I if I'm not making Hostel movies? Yeah, that's true. It was six years before his next films, wasn't it? Which is mad, really. You've seen Hostel Part Three? It's got some. I have. Yeah. I've forgotten it. Yeah, I like. I liked it. I liked it. It's very stupid. Really it's I, like a bachelor I, party, isn't it? it? And Hostel Three. Yeah. Yeah, it's set in Las Vegas. You know, the fact that I didn't like the logic of it being an app probably really don't enjoy the logic of it being like a worldwide <laughs> network. Like, it just, I just don't think so. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like my opinion has not changed. I still, I mean, I don't, I don't like Cabin Fever or Hostel as much as I used to, but I still think they stand up. I still think they're fine. I just think I'm a bit older, mm. and Hostel Two, I still think is a mess and kind of an upsetting one. It makes me a bit angry. Um, are we talking about his later films? As there aren't many of them. We can briefly do an overview. Um, so the next one's what the Green Inferno. Yeah. Uh, which is so beautiful. It's such a good-looking film. It's it like really pops on your screen. It's it's pretty. It's a load of bollocks really though. Yeah, is. I fucking hated it. Oh, I, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's it's rubbish, but I do enjoy it. That fucking weed bit, I can't. I hate it so much. It's, <laughs> it's just, funny. Oh, it's not funny. It's just like such a bad film. I remember seeing that fright first and just being like, oh, this is what we've waited. Cause it took him so long to make it and so long for it to come out because yeah and then it came out and, like, oh. and I think it's a uh, the fact that it took so long like he hasn't grown up but time has passed and that's what that <laughs> film feels like to me it's just like oh you're just a bit out of step now with the world yeah that's kind of feels like that's kind of what's been in terms of the films he's made it feels like he's been trying to find the step again mm. like Knock Knock's kind of like a low budget weird thing which kind of feels completely out of which is I, I think Knock Knock is of his best. Of course you I do. I fucking love it. I fucking love Knock Knock. It's so I should have said fun. in the introduction to this episode that Cliff and I basically never have the same opinion of a film. Um, but <laughs> which is why that's, that's that's why it's fun, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's it's so good. I mean, it's a remake of a remake. It's like so. It's a remake of Death Game, which was uh, I believe a remake of um, Little Miss Innocence, um, or was it Teenage Seductress? I've got one of the Vinegar Syndrome double DVD. I can never remember which one's which. Um, there's oh fuck it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's the same story every time. Two hot women lure a married man into into bed and then completely fuck his life up. It's it's so good. It's a um it's it's a warning, you know. It's <laughs> a warning to married men everywhere. It's um got Keanu Reeves is basically 
Nick Cage, does a Nick Cage in it. He's so funny in it. There's graffiti cock and balls everywhere. There's AIDS jokes. I mean, it's, it's terrible in the sense of humour, but it's right up my street. Um, it's, it's really stressful. Yeah. And it's got a brilliant punchline. The the only thing I like about that film is the the, the Facebook joke at the end, which is immaculate. I will give it that. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then there's Death Wish, which I've not seen. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Bruce Willis, brilliant action hero. Um, it's a bit like um, Unbreakable in the ter- in in his character. Like, is that right? Is it like Unbreakable? Or is it like Glass? It's a bit like his character in those uh, M. Night Shyamalan films, anyway, in the way that there's, uh, like, montages of um, the internet talking about him. He blows up the internet because everyone's fascinated to find out who this person is. It's great. It's, it's much better than the Michael Winner original in my book. I've, I've, I've not seen either, but I probably will still give it a pass. And then, yeah, then there's the kids one, the house... Sorry, the house with a clock in its walls, is it? The house style, something, a clock and a house well, <laughs> and walls. The house, with, the house with a clock in its walls, and you've not seen that? No. I mean, I've never seen a Harry Potter film, but I feel like I have after watching that. It's, it's just... I saw that and thought it was a CGI, right. magical, Jack Black. Um, it's for kids, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure kids would love it. It's not for me. Yeah, Jack Black's fun in it. Kate Blanchett's like having fun. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a kids' film. It's, it's very strange for Eli Roth to make a kids' film. Um, it does have horror elements. Like, <laughs> it's it's definitely a throwback to eighties kids' films that had horror elements. It's just they're not done very well because of the CGI. How do we feel about how Eli Roth shoves in his references into everything? Because I think maybe it's more obnoxious in Kevin Fever, I think, but even in Hostel and Hostel 2, like he's, and obviously The Green Inferno, he's constantly referencing horror movies that he loves, clearly, from the past. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, Tarantino, who he's obviously we've said he's associated with, yep. is constantly referencing, I mean, a much broader range of films. I think, you know, I, I think um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably my favourite Tarantino film, and that's the most referency of the lot isn't it certainly certainly the it references the sort of things that i'm interested in more than any anything else yeah i mean it's not necessarily a bad thing i just i was just even more conscious of it now i guess i i think maybe i've got fed up of it in the intervening years in you know decades of this is Mr. Romero and like you know <laughs> yeah I was just going to say there are there are ways of doing it you can there's that line in Night of the Creeps where they say I'm Detective Carpenter I'm Detective Romero you must be Cronenberg and fucking oh, shut up like, I'm like was it more fun when you know we didn't have the IMDB and like it felt more like an in joke whereas now it just feels obnoxious I don't know I think so and I think also like I didn't like, I, my knowledge of horror films wasn't as, especially when I watched Cabin Fever, like, definitely wasn't as, like, I wasn't picking up, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre at that point, so I was, like, I was aware that it was probably taking off on that, but, yeah, it did all feel a bit less in your face. And I think it's interesting that that was, it was kind of, Eli Roth was doing that as well as, like, he was in interviews he was saying, like, oh, this is, like, I, I really love, you know, Itchy the Killer, so I've made Hostel, or, yeah, like, love Sam Raimi, so I've made Cabin Fever. There was the kind of like the jewel. Do you see the references in the film, and then he'll talk about them and like re- mm. tell you that he gets it. Like I in, think in the, the references interview. in cheap shit horror films that really piss me off are when they just cast someone who's known for something else. So like Bill Mosley will turn up in all sorts of shit, and um, 
<laughs> because everyone loved him in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. But um, uh, what's her name? Meg Foster. She keeps turning up in things just because she's Meg Foster. Is she the right person for the role? Even Barbara Crampton. You know, I reckon Barbara Crampton is probably an absolutely lovely woman. But um, she could be a bit more choosy about and not just like... And, and do you ever see those things on Facebook horror groups where uh, people who are making a cheap, ass film that you're never going to watch go announcement we've got i don't know deborah sue Voorhees from friday the 13th 5 as our lead it's like yeah but it's because you she was in friday the 13th 5 it's not because she's the best actor for the job oh just don't that's not the way to get me to watch your film just put in actors i preferred in other films you get um edwige Fanac in hostel 2 don't you she is in it yes very uh, at the start as the art teacher isn't she yes yeah. i mean that's <laughs> I mean that—that's much more of a kind of little nod to the fans, isn't it? That's not. A... <laughs> it's a deep cut. Yeah, that's that's the phrase. Yeah, deep cut. Yeah, it's a deep cut. <laughs> They're appropriate for Hostel. Yeah, yeah. I think it just feels like I don't feel like he's going to make a great film ever again. I feel like you got two, and maybe you should have stopped there. Well, I would say he's got five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think because he's doing a video game movie next. He's doing the Borderlands movie. Um, it seems like. He probably wants to be doing bigger budget stuff for a while. And then I can see him in a few years going like, oh, I'm going back to my roots and I'm you know, making a really scary horror movie again. But yeah, it feels like, because he, I, I don't know, he's got this feeling like he missed the boat with like, you know, so many indie direct, horror directors now get snapped up really quickly to make horror movies. And it feels like he kind of was a bit too early for that. Like if, if he made Cabin Fever you know, now, he'd be making a Marvel movie. But James Wan, same same era. Yeah, James Wan. That's true. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe he's not interested. Like, I know he wants to make the Meg, and well, Ben Wheatley's doing the Meg too, isn't he? For some reason, he is. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. That that doesn't that I go. I can't get my head no. around that. But yeah, I don't, Eli Roth just feels like he he was working it so so perfectly, so well for that era he was in, and hasn't quite figured out how to kind of make himself fit into kind of whatever it is people want from him now. Like, his, his Eli Roth Presents banner felt very much like, this is my next step for me. And now he's doing his documentary series, isn't he? Mm. Like, he's presenting, like, a history of horror documentary. Oh, well, that was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? I think it's still going. I think it's still going. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very basic. Yeah. The thing is, like, I guess... Like, we are old now, guys. Like, <laughs> there, the, I, 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 might, I wonder if it's just aimed at, at you know, the younger horror generation who aren't familiar with all this stuff and you've got to start somewhere fuck them but yeah that's that's who he is he's like a a recognizable face for like you know that's what he was when he was making these movies and now he's Mm. sort of he is the person you can wheel out was like oh we need someone to present this horror documentary Ela ross gonna do it like he's he's available and excited yeah and he's 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 he can talk to cameras he's very comfortable yeah yeah, doing that kind of stuff. stuff yeah He's he's no he's no Mark Cousins, but I'm sure he'll do a good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final final thoughts on on Eli Roth. He's got he's got he's got such a lovable face. It's like a little teddy bear. <laughs> I think like my final thoughts I would be like the the stuff I liked I still like the stuff I don't I didn't like and I, I still don't like and there's like we said was it the the dickishness leaks in like I think that's true. Um, <laughs> So the stuff I really liked then, I like slightly less now. But I was surprised at how you know well made, and I'm not surprised at how well made. But like 
he's definitely like he knows what he's doing and they, the the stuff that's good holds up i think the stuff he's made since then i, I yeah like i'm not gonna go back and watch green inferno <laughs> it feels like i've left him in the past in the way that like uh, I don't know. In the way that, like, you listen to certain bands when you're young, and then you don't listen to them once you're over thirty. I feel like he's he's like an emo band or something. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah, <laughs> he's like lovable teddy bear, special limited douchebag edition. <laughs> Expires twenty thirteen. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that sums it up. Uh, so thank you to Cliff for joining us. It's been amazing. Thank I hope you, you had fun. <laughs> and um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter for more at Chilennial H Pod. You can follow Cliff at Devil X Five. Devil X Five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and listen to Cliff's podcast because it's very good and funny. And yeah, he has actual comedians, not just um, us talking shit. <laughs> Next time we will. Don't know. Uh, we've got a few ideas could be anything so uh, that'll be fun right thanks for joining us and we'll be back in a couple of weeks bye